We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Digest podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. Today, I am joined again by the man himself, Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503. Really happy to have him back here. We're going to talk about some offensive line, Um, you know, arguably the position that gets the least amount of praise. But we're at Oregon. We got Mario Cristobal. We got Alex Mirabal. And they're just making some monsters. Ryan, how we doing? (laughs) Great, man. How are you, Max? I'm great. Great. Good to see you, man. And, you know, talking about the Ducks, it's another day here in Eugene. Couldn't ask for much more. Um, let's just, you know, I want to start it with you, you know, when you're thinking about the offensive line going into this year, what kind of comes to mind? That's a loaded question, but let's start there. Well, I think you have to go back, you know, last year you had a very inexperienced offensive line. Didn't know really what you were going to get. Uh, I think this year, you know what you're going to get. I think it's pretty solid. I think you've been recruiting very well on the offensive line. I think you have some guys, uh, who, you know, I think, beginning of the year everybody thinks everybody's going to play it's not the case especially on the offensive line you know they want to have 10 guys you know that can really go eight to 10 guys that can really go you know they're going to have 15 they're going to have almost 20 guys that could probably suit up at any time with the way that this room is stacking up but they're going to lean on the main guys i think it all starts in the middle alex Forsyth is a great guy that numerous conversations with him and every time I talk with him, I feel smarter leaving the conversation. You know, I feel better about myself having a conversation with him. Um, very unique player. He, he's going to be coming back. We've, you know, discussed that a little bit or in the interviews. Uh, I don't think he goes anywhere. I don't think he needs to go anywhere anytime soon. He's going to take advantage of weight training. He's still got room to grow. I mean, the guy's a huge guy and very versatile. I think he's a guy that could play every position on the line. There's not many people like that in college football in the world of specialization nowadays where you have a guy that can play every position vastly different from left to right. Uh, and I think he last year was the was pretty solid member of, of, of that group. I think they the, the, the line had some trouble halfway through the year. Uh, there, there were some issues, uh, but there was a lot of guys kind of, you know, trying to find their way, you know, first year here. Um, I do think Ryan Walk is is the guy. I know he's been kind of dinged up lately, uh, but I do think he's a very athletic guy who knows the offense very well and puts guys in position. You can see Alex make calls, and you can see Ryan immediately 
talking after he's making calls and kind of pointing things out. So it feels like you have kind of two quarterbacks on the front line there. I think Jonathan Dennis is a guy, uh, every time I talk to Alex he and talk about the other guys on the line, he, he mentions in Jonathan Dennis. I think uh, JD's going to have a pretty good opportunity this year to find a spot. Um, obviously, TJ Bass is what you thought you were going to get out of that guy. Very quiet guy, but just goes to work uh, and is an absolute grinder in the middle. So I think you're solid up front. Um, your tackles, I think, are very unique because, you know, I think George Moore's had so much experience, but, you know, I think there's going to be some young guys they're going to recycle in there a little bit and, and, and try to see what they got, you know. I think Kinsley's going to get some maybe some looks. I think Feope might get some looks here or there, especially in those first couple games, you know, the, the Stony Brook game, you know, maybe the second half of the Fresno State game when, you know, I, I don't know if you're going to lean on on, on, on uh, these starting offensive linemen for every snap of every play going deep in these games. And then I like Stephen Jones. I think Dawson Amarillo's had a good uh, uh, camp as well, and I and I like to see him in the future. But I, I, I really like Stephen Jones. I think I think those two guys, Moore and Jones, on the end are a very nice uh, bookend. So I think they're great, and I think the freshmen – are going to continue to push these guys. I think Jackson Powers Johnson, they've all raved about him, and I think he's going to get some opportunities, you know, when they give uh, Alex a breather here and there. But the way I look at it is I think this offense could be a lot better than it is or than it was last year. And, and, and if it is better next year or this coming year, I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line. Yeah, a lot of great stuff there, uh, you know, kind of giving us a run-through of, uh, of the starters um, certainly a big advantage to have every one of your guys up front come back for, for another season. Um, and, you know, just to talk about a couple of the guys that you mentioned, uh, Stephen Jones was a guy I got to talk to last week and kind of talked to him a little bit about that uh, sixth man role, if you will. Um, you know, he, he was pretty hyped up going into last season and maybe we didn't see uh, as much of him as we maybe expected, but he told me, you know, talked about that experience and was telling me it was, a little weird at first, you know, something to get adjusted to, but then he, you know, he kind of grew accustomed to it and, and liked the role that he had. And um, I think a lot of it goes along with what we've been talking about with regard to versatility and him kind of just being someone you can insert wherever. And, and that's what I saw a lot of in the scrimmage um, to just kind of echo what they're telling us in practice. You know, what Mirabal is telling us with just guys rotating all over the place every day, uh, getting reps at a variety of positions um, maybe not so much center because that is so different. And, you know, like we talked about with Forsyth, Forsyth, you're the general of the offensive line there, but just all the versatility that they're getting is just going to be so valuable. Um, Mirabal talking about uh, one of the things that stood out the most to me was his strategy and kind of routine for practice. When they get to their team periods, he goes and charts out first team, second team, third team um, for, for all those periods um, and he says he does all that. That's the thing that takes him the most time every day to just prepare for any situation that they could possibly, possibly ever get. Like there's not a situation you could throw at Alex Mirabal that he wouldn't say, oh yeah, this guy's here. This guy's at left guard. This guy's moving over to tackle. This guy's ready for anything. There's just incredible attention to detail. And, and I think that especially with that year of experience and the talent that we're seeing come in, it's shaping up to be a really big year uh, for the Ducks on offense. Yeah, well, I think a lot of credit does have to go to Coach Mirabel. I think he's a teacher. We talked about this. I, As an educator myself, I think a lot of teachers may get a bad rap. The good ones, though, are very organized. They're very attention to detail. 
there uh, is, is 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 impeccable. They can have a lot of plates going. Nobody does this better probably than the elementary school teachers who are spinning a lot of plates at the same time. Kids are all over the place, but it's a very active, very engaging room. And the average person does not engage in that kind of a manner in their regular setting. They don't go to the office and juggle all these different personalities at different times and keep it engaging. But we as teachers, that's what we do. And I think that's the first thing you have to understand about Mirabelle is he's a teacher at heart. He's a very, very strong educator of the game. He's a technique guy. He keeps it simple. Um, those A lot of these guys, they do the same drills over and over and over. And that repetition builds an incredible amount of knowledge. And all these guys talk about this. You have to be able to play fast. You have to be able to know exactly what you're doing so you can play fast. And again, you know, from my own uh, experience playing high school football, when my team was good, it was good because we had an offensive line that was very in sync. We knew exactly what we were doing, and we had command of the playbook. We knew exactly what to do on every single play. And coaches always preach about this. It only takes one guy to mess up on a play to blow the whole play. Um, you, you, football is the ultimate team game. You need all 11 uh, people doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Uh, to make the play work. And I think that it all starts on the front lines. You know, as a former coach myself, uh, I I still am a coach, but uh, uh, I loved writing out, you know, I coached basketball for years. So I loved writing that out. I would actually go through the whole game and and, and put different lineups together for different scenarios. Uh, uh, Starting the second half tied, starting the second half up by 10, starting the second half down by 10. Uh, starting the fourth quarter down by 10, starting the fourth quarter tied. These are all different scenarios that you as a coach have to kind of walk through during your downtime so that when, you know, it's in action, you don't have time to think. You don't have time to really think about all those different variables. You need to have all that dialed in. And um, I really appreciate that about uh, Coach Mirabel. And I appreciate that about a lot of coaches in the modern college football, you know. Every one of these coaches have their own classroom they get to work in. And I always ask the guys, you know, on the team, what's it like in the classroom setting? What's it like when coach goes to the whiteboard with the expo marker? What is it like when you guys walk into class and where do you sit? Is it like a classroom where, you know, kids are in the back screwing off the kids in the front or taking notes or, you know, what, 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 what's it like in those situations? And I think, you know, go back 20, 30 years ago, there was less of that in college football. I think there was kind of some team meeting stuff. There was some group meeting stuff. But now the attention to detail is at such a level where these guys have their own team rooms, where they have their own film. They get to walk and, and get to process on their own terms. And that, I think, really helps the offensive line more than almost any other group on the offense. And you talk about the attention to detail with Mirabal, I mean, I, I watch this guy at practice and the unit just operates so quickly. And they're one of the biggest units on the whole team, obviously big bodies, but 20 guys in the offensive line room and they're just all on the same page. You're seeing Mirabal just clicking through drills like we're not going fast enough. We need to be here. We need to be doing this. And it's just it's like a well-oiled machine. That sounds cliche, but it's just so fun watching this guy operate with the, the talent that, that you have there. Um, and, you know, watching the guy strike the medicine ball and, you know, they're putting their all into it and he's just asking for more hollering his head off. Um, and it, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch and you see the, the, the process and then you go back to, you know, years like 2019 when 
they were just mowing guys over and CJ had these, you know, 70, 80 yard runs. And now you, now you know why it starts up front with the offensive line. Um, but when we're talking about the coaching dynamic a little bit, this was one of the other things that I, I asked him um, when I spoke with him over the, I was going to say over the weekend, it was last week, but his dynamic with Cristobal, you know, Cristobal is the head coach. So he's going all over the place. You got to kind of stop and at each position group, if you will, but then when he comes to, to Mirabal with, you know, his offensive line, it's just a seamless transition. And, and Mirabal was saying, you know, sometimes we don't even say a word to each other because they're just that in sync. Like Cristobal can just figure out where they're, where they're leaving off. And just watching these guys as teachers, to your point, Ryan, you know, everyone kind of has a, a different style. And um, man, it's, it's cool to kind of see how, how they kind of set each other apart. But at the same time, I feel like there's overlap and you can see that culture in place. Like all these coaches are doing things their way, but it's all so, you know, united in the vision and the drive. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, there's a unique situation going on in Oregon because you have a head coach that was an offensive uh, lineman and, 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 and he thinks like an offensive lineman. He acts like an offensive lineman. He, he interacts with people like an offensive lineman and, He's a gentle giant, but you know he's a very powerful human being who can absolutely thrust you at any moment. He's he's that kind of guy. Just in the grocery store, he's that kind of guy. So the ideology behind uh, Cristobal is, is, you know, he's going to give the offensive line probably a little bit more attention than the average head coach in, in, in college football today. But he's also going to ask a lot more from them. You know, as any good dad is or coach is where they they love you to death, but now they want more from you. There's more and more and more asked of you. And, you know, when when you see Coach Mirabal saying, I need it faster, I need it faster, I need it faster, you know, that's because there is no there is no end finish line. It always want it faster. There is no fast now it's now it's there. No. It's 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 a constant pursuit of of what would what what you could possibly do and nobody gets more out of the guys uh than than these coaches that that love these guys up but they ride them very hard and they have very high expectations and you all can tell this because every time that you interview a coach it does not matter what sport you can barely hear him the voice is gone i mean i coached basketball for years and I, I can't tell you talking to basketball coaches in the middle of summer they haven't coached basketball in two or three months and they're like hey how we doing <laughs> because the voice is the voice is toast, you know, and so I do think that guys, you know, like for example, I, I had a conversation with Marcus Harper, and I, I really really enjoy him. I think he's a very very thoughtful guy, and he gave a lot of really good insight into kind of what's happening in that room, and also trying to just just look for his angle. He's trying to look for any opportunity he can to help the team, and also get himself in a position to be successful. And I think that having that chart. Every single day pushes those guys. Um, the organizational chart, you know, it, it's a very powerful uh, uh, tool to motivate these guys when, you know, sometimes you can lose motivation, especially a guy like uh, Ryan Walk, who's coming off a pretty good year last year. Alex Forsythe, pretty good year last year. George Moore is se- super senior, whatever you want to call it. Some of these guys can walk in like, hey, all right, whatever. But these guys want every single drill done to perfection. And I think it goes to say that, when you when you have a running back like CJ, you know, go back to that Washington game, right, where they won in overtime with the, just a very simple power running play. Uh, the, the, these plays that they're calling are not uh, revolutionarily wild plays. It, it's not the Chip Kelly offense where you're playing with a Porsche. This is like the Porsche SUV. 
They want it to be able to go fast, but they want power. And, and up front, you have to absolutely get the right precision of guys to be able to make that thing work. And they want to run very basic offense. They want to run power. They want to run uh, draw up the middle off the left guard, right guard, whatever the case may be. They want to run it right down people's throats. And you can't do that unless you have a very, very strong offensive line. Absolutely. Uh, there was there was one point that you made a, a little bit ago, Ryan, that I kind of wanted to circle back to, uh, kind of going off of um, competition and, and Mirabal laying out kind of what someone's path to play playing time rather looks like. Um, you know, I think I asked him this question a while ago or somebody did uh, as far as, you know, what you have to see out of somebody to start. And it was a very blunt answer. Like they have to put it on the tape end of the day. Okay, well, then take unwind that a little bit. How do you get there? you have all these guys coming into Oregon now that are really highly touted recruits, particularly at the offensive line position. Um, that's not to say that the Ducks didn't have good players in the past at offensive line, but you know, they're, they're coming in and I feel like they're that much more ahead of schedule than what we've saw before crystal ball. But I think, especially now with um, the group that we have coming in for 2022, you know, people see a guy like Kelvin Banks, Dave Uly, these just super big talents and, you know, they kind of expect people to start like they just they don't even like consider like, oh, this guy's a five star. This guy's an All-American like this guy's going to just, you know, see the field right away. And that was something that we saw placed on Kingsley's uh, shoulders quite a bit. But when you're talking about Mirabal saying that you need to to be able to know what you're doing and do it quickly, it's just kind of a reality check, I feel like, for some of these guys that, that maybe come in. I'm not saying they have an inflated ego or anything, but that could be like a welcome to college moment. It's like, Hey, you, you can't do this off of raw talent and ability. Like you might've been able to do at the high school level where you're just overpowering guys. Um, Cause now once you get to college, the, the stars don't matter. Everybody's big, everybody's fast, everybody's talented. And I just, I love that idea of competition just never ending because it's just, everyone wants to, to get on the field as soon as they can. And even if you're not a starter, you could have your name called at any point and you got to be able to go at almost any position on the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's all about timing too. When you come into a program, I mean, you know, if you go back in time and, and look at, you know, uh, when Penne come, came into the program, you know, he had an opportunity just based on the fact that there were less numbers there. There was, it, it was a smaller room at that point. Obviously his talent uh, jumped out of the, <laughs> uh, the very first practice. They saw what they had in talent-wise. But there, it was just a little bit of a smaller room comparatively to where some of these guys are coming in right now. And they're looking at three or four different guys at that position that they play or that they specialize in in front of them. And these are great players. I also do think that college coaches love to put freshmen in the brakes a little bit, put pump the brakes on the freshmen a little bit. These guys come in with a lot of hype. They were the man on their other team, yes, but they really need to learn team offense, team defense. They need to learn their place, their role, and how to help the team and really get into that mindset of, you know, if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else, but we're all doing this together. And I do feel like the more that college football has become popular and with social media and everything else, the more individualistic it is starting to become, much more like the NFL when the true college game is all about team camaraderie and everybody working together. I like that point a lot, just with, with how the dynamic has kind of changed. I mean, maybe uh, this is kind of a big talking point, but maybe this is where we see NIL come into play a little bit. 
Um, I know that that was kind of a talking point for some people um, with regard to, you know, what if you have this guy getting six figures of NIL endorsement and then you have this guy over here who's working his tail off and he's not getting squat. Like, could that potentially, you know, be uh, a dividing factor or something that maybe complicates a room? I'm not saying that's happening at Oregon, but, you know, quite the opposite. You see how on the same page all of these guys are. And, um, you know, when you're looking at the offensive line, too, and, and just the grit that goes into it and how these guys are all playing together, you just you see the culture, you see the love that they have for each other. And, um, you know, kind of like you were saying earlier, how they want to be coached up hard, you know, that that's a way that a coach, you know, in a weird way, maybe expresses his love for you just by riding you in practice and making sure that he's pushing you to be the best that you're going to be able to be. Oh, absolutely. But I also do think that there's a tremendous amount of competition. These guys look forward to the competition. I mean, you know, Keith Brown, for example, you know, this is a guy who wants to play. He wants to compete against the best. Now, is he on the first level? No, not even close. I mean, he's coming in as a freshman, but he's going to get a chance to see what he can do against the ones. He's going to get a chance to see what he can do against the twos and find a spot for him, you know, and, and if he can get some playing time, that's great. But that's a perfect example. That was the best kid in the state of Oregon. That, that was the number one player in the state. And he's going to go to a, a program and that's not – a, a linebacker room that's just totally filled with a tremendous amount of seniors or upperclassmen. It's, for the most part, a very, very young room, except for, uh, uh, you know, Drew and, and Nate. You know, other than that, I mean, there, there, there's not many guys of, 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 of much age there. And and he's not going to get a chance to play off the jump right up there because they're going to lean on the other guys. It's just a matter of the game. It's And the better team you go to, the more of a situation you have to deal with that. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, no offense to, to anybody else in the league, but, you know, some of these kids could have gone to another school and been the man right away. And by choosing to go to Oregon or choosing to go to USC or whatever the case may be, the higher-end schools, they're they're, they're choosing to, to, uh, to look at the competition. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i going to be honest. I totally forgot my talking point, so I might have to, to riff here for just a second. Um Let's see. We can go maybe to our notes a little bit. Dang it. I'm so upset because there was something I wanted to say from what you were saying, but brain farts happen from time to time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I just think that if you, if you look at like these young kids coming in, you know, the, 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 the talent is there, you know, uh, coach McLennan said it the other day. He's like, you know, you got to be able to make the talent, you know, work with the, the, the veterans that you have, the youth, you know, put a blend together. And that's the ultimate thing about the offensive line right now is that you've got this, this unit that you look like you're going to go again, kind of like what we saw with that last unit. And they're all going to come back again, except for maybe George. Right. And then obviously everybody, there, there's a lot of youth in that room, but there's a lot of guys who are looking to try to crack that thing as well. So uh, it, it, that's the beautiful thing about fall camp. I think that having that organizational chart and opening up the competition, even for a program or even for a, a, a spot like uh, the quarterback, where you know that you're going to give the ball to the senior obviously you want to say it's an open competition because you want that freshman to play just as hard as anybody else. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because that just reminded me of my last point. So thank you. Um, but with, with regard to the organizational chart, I think one of the luxuries that we're getting with fall camp that we don't really get in the season is just the, the flexibility to, to throw somebody into a situation that they're not comfortable with. Um, you know, with regard to the offensive line, Mirabal was talking about Logan Sagapolu getting some run with the ones in practice the other day. Um, and he's a guy that I think is really intriguing because, 
he's a huge dude, right? But at the same time, he doesn't maybe have the same stature as some of the starters. He's six two, so he's a little bit on the the shorter side. But that dude is just massive, and you can tell that that he just wants a shot at it, like you're saying. Um, so I think that we're seeing some of the benefits there with just getting guys, uh, you know, kind of uncomfortable and seeing how they respond to that, how they respond with being with, you know, the first unit or going against that first unit, that Arpenshire, Ar- oh my God, Arpen, iron sharpens iron yeah. mentality. Um, we're just, we're seeing the, the fruits of it. And I didn't even think about what you said with almost everybody coming back next year, except for more. So maybe, maybe that's where we see Kingsley really get some of his, uh, uh, his feet wet at the left tackle spot then. Right. Well, I do, I do, like you said, I think, I think you're going to see some of these younger guys mix in with the ones they've, they've said they've had pretty much all the freshmen who've been able to come in and have been able to, to, to get up and get with the ones a little bit, uh, but guys are going to get hurt. It's just a matter of the sport. I mean, uh, coach Deruder said it the other day, it's a, it's a sport of attrition, right? Uh, and, and guys are going to get hurt and you know that going into it, you have to have all of your plans in order when these guys get hurt. And it's nobody's fault when an injury happens, but you also have to realize that the offensive line play hurt all the time. So it's it, it's a matter of, you know, how injured are they? You know, can you go or can you not go kind of a thing? Most of these guys play hurt most of the year. Uh, it's just whether or not uh, they can actually make it happen. And, you know, when a guy gets hurt, you know, nobody wants to see a guy get hurt. But if you're the next man up, you know, you got to be thrilled you're getting an opportunity. I mean, it's a weird feeling, man. Injuries are, are such a common part of the game. I was thinking this the other day when I was looking at all the offensive linemen. I think just about every person that was out there had those really heavy knee braces on, on both of their knees. Um, and you got to just think the the recovery for them because they're having so much impact every play just has to be on another level from from maybe some of the other positions just because they're they're under their bodies are under so much stress and you know they're just getting so much asked of them absolutely and it's any play for offensive linemen you know they, they put a lot of those guys in them uh, both knees with before they even have any knee problems you know just the protection mode uh, and it, you know, it's just, you can get folded up so easy. You can roll over somebody so easy. You can you know, twist an ankle, get, get, get a weird shin thing, or, you know, there's all sorts of compound fractures these guys get in the legs. And not to mention the fact that you're putting a tremendous amount of weight and strain already on the body by these guys being so huge. I mean, if you go back to the 1950s, you know, the average size of the offensive lineman was 250 pounds, right? To, you know, 230 pounds. You know, these guys were not even close to 300 pounds. You know, for for most of half of uh, football as we know it, we never saw these guys be 300 pounds. Now we get these guys, they're 340, 350, and they're running full speed. They're, I mean, it's, it's amazing what these guys are doing. You talk about being faster, bigger, faster, stronger is the name of the game, and it will probably continue to grow a little bit. And there's so many guys that, that come in, and maybe they're just physical freaks right off the bat. And maybe you look at a, at a Justin Flo or a Noah Sewell with how explosive that they are. But when you're looking at the, the kind of projects that offensive linemen are, I feel like maybe if you're, if I'm Aaron Feld and I'm looking at this, you know, getting the guy from maybe he's not very mobile as a freshman coming in and then he ends up, you know, just being a first rounder or just, just being a tremendous performer, that's got to be really satisfying because, you know, maybe there's a little bit more work to do there with, with shedding some weight, working on his mobility at, you know, a guy whose stature is just naturally kind of working against him in that regard. Oh, absolutely. I mean, these guys transform their bodies. I mean, no joke, come in, 
shed weight. Uh, for some of these guys, they come in huge. Some of these guys come in, like, I mean, Feope just is absolute. He's like built like a front door. I mean, the guy is a huge human being, and some of these guys need to shed weight when they get here. Um, you know, guys who, you know, uh, are put on a, a fitness plan uh, or, or monitored on, on the weight plan. Then there's other guys like Ryan Walk, who was a basketball player in, in high school, who had to kind of get up to the size of that he is right now and, and is constantly working on kind of maintaining that weight as well. So there's all these different guys in the room. And, you know, you made a good point about uh, being about being 6'2", you know. These average guys back in the day as well, 6'2", was a, a tall uh, guy. Now that's the short offensive lineman. These guys now, 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", on the regular. You know, most of all these offensive linemen coming in now, that, these are humongous, humongous individuals that are incredibly strong that are, are really forced to do a very, very interesting job. You know, when you, for the most part, you know, you look at pass blocking, the, the college game has leaned on the pass so much in the last 20 years. I mean, it's really exploded, the pass game. And, you know, if you ask any offensive lineman what they'd rather do, it's run block. And you run block, you get to get off the ball, you get to get to the second level, you get to be a, an athlete. You know, and pass blocking is, is such a different conundrum. And it's so much easier to get hurt and get your quarterback hurt and get everything else. There's, you know, there's a lot of old school football players, uh, football coaches that, that hate to throw the ball. They say there's only, you know, three things that can happen when you throw the ball and two of them aren't good. And, and the idea is is that, you know, you have these offensive linemen. If you ask them what they want to do, they want to line up and they want to press somebody. Just like they're in the uh, weight room, they want to throw weight up on the plate and just press somebody and get their hands engaged with somebody, drive somebody off the ball. And, you know, that's, I think, the main thing Oregon wants to do. I think Oregon, when, when Cristobal took over this team, he saw a team that had an identity that wanted to run the ball. They just physically couldn't do it up front. They were, they were trying to do it by running away from people, and the defense is caught up to all that. And so they went, they went to a different motion and went to a, a heavier, uh, more uh, SEC type of football, and I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's it's been a, a blast to watch for sure uh, with how they've just been mauling everybody. And, um, you know, there's really not a team in the, in the conference that, you know, is, is bigger than them, um, which, which is pretty fun to see on, on game day. We've talked about a lot of, you know, big offensive linemen, but as we kind of wind down here, I feel like we couldn't call this an offensive line focus episode podcast if we didn't talk about the tight ends a little bit because they are, I feel like, are one of the most intriguing positions in all of football because they get to do a little bit of both. And my God, the Ducks have some massive tight ends. DJ Johnson uh, is coming back now. He's, he's uh, been at practice the past couple of days, um, and I saw him working on some blocking today, and, and that dude can move. He can explode. He has a lot of power in his hips. But um, when you're looking at the Ducks wanting to run the ball, these tight ends and how big they are certainly give them a big boost. Absolutely. I, I, tight end has got to be my favorite position in, in all of football. Uh, it's a, such a unique uh, position. Uh, uh, again, you have some of those athletic people being able to play it. Guys that, you know, a lot of these guys are basketball players. Uh you know, they can go post up and, 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 and get a ball five yards in the flat. They can also run a, a pattern like a, a post pattern or something like a wide receiver. They can also stick their nose in on the offensive line and block on a run play. Uh, they, they just can do it all. And, yes, Oregon is stacked right now. The loss of Patrick Herbert hurts. I, I do think Herbert was a guy who was having a very good fall camp and 
was a, a guy who was going to get some playing time. Uh, I do think the Sacramento connection is where you're going to see it this year. You're going to see Spencer Webb back, healthy. I do think he's going to get a lot of playing time this year. And then DJ Johnson, I felt like, was the offensive player of the year last year for the Ducks. I felt like he was the most consistent, the most steady. He made the most big plays, um, uh, key plays uh, in games, whether they be first downs or touchdowns. And I was just super impressed at his transition from the defense to the offense. I thought he played pretty solid on the defensive side. And then when he went over to the offensive side, he made a more of an improvement to the team. Going into last year, I didn't really know what he was going to do, uh, how much playing time he was even going to get when I, when I kind of previewed the tight ends before the year started. I didn't even really talk about DJ Johnson that much, thinking, well, I don't know where he's going to find his way in here. Turned out with injuries and everything else in that room, he becomes a starter and has a great year. Um, I do think the fan favorite is going to be Cam McCormick. If we can get Cam back on the field, that would be a really amazing story. I do think he has, I think, two more years of eligibility, which is insane. He could be there for a long, long time. But I do think that with his unique situation and getting the grant, of extra year or two uh, from the NCAA uh, really shows the pain and what he went through by having basically uh, his the hardware removed from his foot and ankle twice uh, in two different years, uh, right before camp, too. Like, why is this hurting now, you know? Uh, that's just heartbreaking. So I would love to be able to see him uh, uh, put it back together. And then the freshman. I think, again, like we talked about with recruiting, people love recruiting and they love the freshmen. They think the freshmen can play automatically. And I, and I do think both these freshmen are good. Spencer Webb talks about how both these freshmen are basically his size or bigger coming in. And he's a big dude. Spencer Webb's grown quite a bit since he's been in college. But um, uh, I do think that both those freshmen uh, are, have an opportunity to play. And, and we've uh, heard, at least by reading uh, Rob Mullen's uh, situation, uh, or Rob Mosley's situation, I'm sorry, um, uh, talk about uh, that they've had some seriously huge plays in practice that they've been both of those freshmen have been uh, uh, some of the plays of the day uh, so I'm very impressed with the, the tight end group um, and I do think also the tight end group gets a unique uh, kind of look at also how their play is when it comes to special teams you know uh, coach Bobby being able to work on both of them a little bit and I, I do think that they've provide a very unique player on special teams you see a lot of times tight ends play on kickoff on punt team on uh a kickoff return so uh just an all-around great athlete group for sure we're looking at a really well-rounded group with the with the tight ends a lot of talent from top to bottom got that mixture of veterans and, and young guys uh i remember last week i was watching uh maliki in a, in a blocking drill and he just drove his guy to the ground like it was nothing uh, so it, it's going to definitely be, he's going to be a guy to watch for sure. Um, you know, you hope uh, nothing but the best for Patrick Herbert with his injury, but at the same time, if we're looking at the situation, this is probably one of the positions where they can, the ducks can kind of withstand, uh, the damage that maybe comes from, from losing a guy like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's all I really had on the, on the tight ends. Um, I, you know, I, we, I always feel like when we get on these, we could talk for ages, um, but, uh, yeah, the, is there anything else you wanted to add before we get you know, out of here, Ryan? You know, just to go one, one more about Patrick Herbert, you know, a lot of guys have mentioned, you know, the, the positives of the year off, you know, uh, there's a lot of kids who 
if it's a full year. I mean, Cristobal didn't make it sound like it was going to be a full year, but if it is, you know, having that time to rehab, having that time to see the game from a different perspective, having that time to work on their body, they still can work on a tremendous amount of other things, work on school, kind of take a little bit of a breather from the pressure of competing on the field and start to compete with your injury. Um, a lot of these guys learn a lot about themselves and a lot about the game in that year that they are rehabbing. That's a great point. I, I think that unless we're, we're not the athletes, so we don't know, we don't get to see that aspect of the sport. You know, what it's like when, when someone thinks they're going to have a monster year and then they have an injury and then everything just gets shattered around them because um, I mean, with, with modern athletics um, you know, schools do their best. You'd like to hope to, to, you know, pump guys up and, and get them to be well-rounded individuals. But for a lot of these people that come in, you know, football is it. Like that is what they are looking to do. And um, that's just a great point to, to bring in that mental aspect of it and, and how they're able to get stronger by recovering from these injuries. Um, and just the, the lessons that they, that not being on the field can ultimately teach them. Oh yeah. And there's been numerous guys that have mentioned that. And I do think, you know, the mental side of the game is, is something that we're paying more attention to, you know, obviously it was a huge story during the Olympics with Simone Biles and, I do think that the idea of the, the athlete knows themselves best, you know, and, uh, and, and, and for some of these guys, you know, they want to do everything they can to get on the field and play and, uh, and, and they'll, they'll hide an injury or they'll do something else. They'll just gut through it. And, and we've applauded that for years as opposed to, uh, well, let's just take, get it taken care of. It's like a, a, a part in the car, get it fixed, uh, come back, come back stronger and, and ready to go. Exactly. So we'll see how how uh, you know a a year um, a year off not off but recovering does for a guy like Cam McCormick. Certainly hope to see uh, him running around and, and making some plays for the Ducks this year. Um, before we wrap it up, Ryan, where can people find more of you? Yeah, Sports Chat five hundred three on YouTube. That's pretty much my thing. I'm on Twitter a little bit. I got the Instagram as well, but I'm not. You know, I just do my thing. I'm a regular guy uh on all those other things but yeah if you guys want to check it out i do the videos uh pre-game post-game and uh try to uh, give you guys as much content as i can as we go through the season right on well we certainly love having you on here every time we we uh get to ryan so thank you again for coming on if you guys want to find more of me you can find me on twitter at mtaurus sports uh also this will be on youtube um so you can uh, go over to my youtube channel max taurus uh, kindly ask that you subscribe to the channel. It really helps me grow and do my thing over there. Keep bringing you guys more awesome Ducks content. Um, we're going 24-7. And we also have uh, the website, obviously, Ducks Digest. That's si.com slash college slash Oregon. And we're also getting an Instagram going. Uh, so find us over there. Got some awesome photos from our new photographer, Scott Bolt, that I'm sharing over there. So Ducks Digest over there. That's about all I have for this one, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll see you in the next one. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.